Rescued from the choppy seas of the English Channel, or landing on the windswept beaches of the east of England, over the last three years, thousands of people in small inflatable dinghies have made the perilous crossing from France. As dozens died, the UK deployed the Coast Guard, the Navy and the Lifeboat Service to try and rescue those attempting to make the journey. In 2021, an estimated 28,526 people crossed the Channel in small boats. Data for the first half of 2022 shows that over 8,000 people had already made the journey, with tens of thousands more expected in the calmer, warmer summer months. The arrivals sparked a heated debate. Some accused the government of being soft on immigration, turning a blind eye to smugglers and not policing the country's borders. Others accused the government of a callous disregard for human life, failing to meet their obligations to those fleeing for their lives and demanded more action. And now the UK has said enough. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're delving into the UK government's plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda and asking whether such proposals can even solve the issue. First, though, if you enjoy Beyond the Headlines, then why not subscribe in your podcast app to get all the latest episodes? So from today, our new migration and economic development partnership will mean that anyone entering the UK illegally, as well as those who have arrived illegally since January the 1st, may now be relocated to Rwanda. That's UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson unveiling the plan on April 14th, 2022. Under the proposal, many of those entering the UK, as Mr Johnson says, illegally, will be given a ticket 6,000 kilometres away to Rwanda where they're free to make a claim for asylum. Regardless of the outcome of that asylum claim, it's not expected that anyone will be flown back to the UK. Instead, successful applicants will be given the right to stay in Rwanda. While they're there, the asylum seekers will be the responsibility of the Rwandan government under Rwandan law. The plan, however, hasn't been exactly well received. The UN Refugee Agency's deputy head, Gillian Triggs, called it an egregious breach of the international law and refugee law. More than 160 charities and campaign groups have signed a letter calling on the government to drop the proposal. The UK government has said it will pay Rwanda £120 million in development assistance over five years and cover the cost of housing deported asylum seekers. However, it transpires that the Home Office civil servants couldn't estimate what the final bill actually would be, or in fact quantify any of the benefits of the policy. This, according to the BBC, has led Home Secretary Preti Patel to take personal responsibility for the proposal and drive it through. Even some of the most vocal critics of the UK government's handling of the thousands of arrivals have expressed deep concern over the plans. Well, nobody is agitated more than me for something to be done about the criminal trade across the English Channel. That's Nigel Farage, former EU parliamentarian, the man who lobbied to get the UK out of Europe for many years and who is now a campaigner and talk show host. If, within the next week, we start seeing plane loads being taken 
to Rwanda, that may well act as a short-term deterrent. After all, why would you pay a criminal trafficker 3,000 euros, 5,000 euros, if you thought immediately you'd be sent to Rwanda? Now, I did say if it happens. And I say if because we are so used to Priti Patel and just occasionally Boris Johnson making really big statements. We're sending in the RAF, we're sending in the Navy. You've heard it all before. I would be surprised if any of those flights take off. As I say, if they do, it would be a short-term deterrent. Long-term, it ain't gonna work for two reasons. The first is it's difficult to think of a country with a much worse recent human rights record than Rwanda, and it's only a matter of time before we start to get stories from camps in Rwanda about abuses of all kinds. Immigration is a hot topic in the UK, and it has been for years. Many are particularly concerned about those arriving by boat. Polls show the concerns around immigration and the UK's ability to set its own border policies was a major driver of the 2016 decision to leave the European Union. Well, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. It's going to cost a lot more money in the long run. Those countries are not very safe anyway. Rwanda, only a few years ago, there was complete genocide. They should be sent back because it is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to look after our own people, which we aren't doing. Um, we do have a lot of social issues in our country, you know, ourselves, homelessness, etc. And we do need to be looking to addressing those problems. But I feel that every human being has the right to a safe haven. We are a safe haven. We do have the resources, so we should be using them. Those are the views of just some of the people in the British port city of Dover when asked about immigration and the government's new plan. So what's going on? How did thousands of people end up on the French coast looking to launch themselves in blow-up dinghies across the Channel? What exactly is wrong with the UK government's proposal to fix it and what are the alternatives? And finally, how do the British people feel about immigration and the asylum-seeking process in general? So first off, the origins of this current crisis. So Europe has been grappling with a refugee crisis since about 2015, when over a million mostly Syrian refugees started travelling by boat from Turkey to Greece and then on across the continent. Thousands of others have crossed the Mediterranean to places like southern Italy. These journeys are incredibly dangerous and thousands of people have died in the process every year. Now, countries across Europe have taken in refugees, but under the usual EU rules, asylum seekers must make a claim in the first safe country they enter. Thousands of people, most of whom are willing to risk their lives a second time at sea to reach the UK, are now in dire camps on the French coast, in towns like Calais. Where do these people come from? Well, 2021 data from the UK Home Office shows that about 75% of those arriving by sea are aged 18 to 39, while about 12% were children under the age of 18. While Iranians used to make up the vast majority of arrivals, in 2021 it was about 30%. Around 20% are from Iraq, 11% from Eritrea, and 9% from Syria. So the trend of people arriving by boat to the UK really started in 2019. 
Amid the initial outrage, the UK accused French authorities of turning a blind eye, saying it was Paris's responsibility to prevent people trying to make the crossing. But everyone agreed that action needed to be taken. So fast forward to 2022 and Downing Street unveils its Rwanda refugee plan. Now, before we can delve any further into the exact details of the plan and what the implications of this are, we need to understand a bit about the laws and agreements around migration and refugees. We need to talk about the concept of asylum. Now, this is often misunderstood and it has big implications for the debate raging in the UK right now. So asylum is essentially a legal designation. Many countries, including the UK, have signed up to international treaties that say anyone from anywhere in the world who is facing persecution, having their human rights violated, or fearing for their lives can travel there and request sanctuary. This person is then known as an asylum seeker. The UK, like other countries, have a national asylum system to then assess these claims and decide if this person is indeed in need of protection. Professor Kelsey Norman, a fellow of the Middle East and director of the Women's Rights, Human Rights and Refugee Programme at the Baker Institute at Rice University in the US, tells us how this works. Right. So they, they have the right to undergo what's called refugee status determination. And that's a process that in a country like the UK would be done by the British government. In other countries, sometimes it's done by the UN uh, Refugee Agency. But whoever is doing it, it's basically going to speak with the person, understand the situation from which they were fleeing, understand what their claims about individual persecution are, because it's not just enough to come from a particular country. You have to individually be facing persecution within that country and unable or it's, it's unsafe for you to return to that country. Um, so they're asking when you're asking for asylum, you're asking the country's government to assess your claims and to determine whether you can't go back to your home country. And thus you have the right to remain legally within the country that you've entered. Isn't it illegal to enter another country on an inflatable boat or in the back of a lorry, for example? Well, in many places and in most contexts, yes, there is, however, an exception for those seeking asylum. Obviously, in an ideal world, those needing sanctuary would be able to fly, drive or sail to a safe country by conventional means and seek asylum. But that's clearly not always possible. Many countries don't give out visas for those fleeing from war zones, and travel routes are often closed. Sometimes, if you're fleeing a war zone, you're just running for your life towards the nearest border, regardless of whether there's an official crossing point or whether you've remembered your passport. For those whose own government are the ones persecuting them, they may be trying to flee without alerting the authorities by passing through an airport, landport or seaport. It's for this reason that the 1951 UN Refugee Convention makes it clear that it is not illegal to cross a border for the purpose of seeking asylum. This is regardless of how you do it, and regardless of whether you have a passport or travel document. This whole process is very different from what's known as economic migration, or just migration. That's seeking to move to a new country to live, work and study, which usually requires application forms and visas. Now, a moment ago, we said around 9% of those arriving in the UK by dinghy in 2021 were from Syria, where there is a war. But around 30% are coming from Iran, where there isn't. Are they cheating the system or sneaking in? 
Well, Home Secretary Preti Patel told the House of Lords in 2021 that around 70% of arrivals are single men deemed economic migrants. They're not genuine asylum seekers, she said. They are the ones who are elbowing out the women and children who are at risk and fleeing persecution. But that doesn't exactly appear to be the case. That's based on the UK government's own actions. Research institutions in the UK have found that more than two-thirds of asylum seekers who are crossing by boat to the UK have been found to have their claims successfully uh, verified. So they are asylum seekers, they are refugees. Um, so it's not a question of people coming in and just you know trying to remain um, uh, irregularly or not applying for asylum once they arrive. So it's really a question of politics. And also the overall number of, of asylum seekers entering the UK is smaller than it was several decades ago. So it's not even really a numbers question. It's actually a question of you know, how much this has blown, been blown up in the media. In 2021, Home Office data compiled after a Freedom of Information request by the Refugee Council found that 61% of those arriving by small boat over the Channel were deemed genuine refugees and likely to be granted asylum. That means that they are genuine asylum seekers, fleeing persecution, human rights violations and face a threat to their lives by returning home. By the UK's own legal system, they're not breaking the law. So why is this such a big deal? I think the problem is that states feel very insecure when immigration, when immigrants or migrants or asylum seekers arrive irregularly, right? But I think the reason a lot of people are traveling irregularly, asylum seekers or otherwise, is that so many of the legal routes have been closed off. And I think that's a real misunderstanding, too. You always hear the rhetoric of politicians saying, well, why don't they just come the right way, right? Why don't they just come the, the regular way or with, you know, visas? But they can't get those visas. And these are people who are seeking, you know, safety and shelter from really terrible, deadly situations. So legal routes are not an option. And if we continue to, we in the West continue to close off those legal routes, of course, people are going to have to come by boat, um, you know, in the back of a truck, uh, whatever other way is possible. Um, because again, they're, they're fleeing really deadly situations. Safe legal avenues for claiming asylum. That is the big call for those working in the sector. But what exactly does that look like? Places like Canada and the US, to an extent, have helped some Syrians or Iraqis flee violence by working through their embassies on the ground where these people are, and the UN to identify the most in need, assess their claims, and then bring them over safely by plane. This is a way through which a small number of people have been able to make a claim from overseas have that claim assessed and approved and then brought safely and directly without the need for smugglers and dangerous boats. But with that in mind, let's talk about the UK's Rwanda proposal. So this plan will allow the UK government to send those arriving by boat or other illegal methods, as Mr Johnson puts it, to Rwanda. There are some exceptions for children or families, but it means the bulk of arrivals, those single men over the age of 18, will qualify. Those not flown to Rwanda will be taken to a large camp that the government plans to build in the northeast, rather than housing them, as is currently the system, in hotels around the country. As a side note, it's worth remembering that the overwhelming percentage of arrivals are single men for a number of reasons. One is that it's a very dangerous journey, and so they choose to leave their families at home while they make the journey themselves. 
And two, it's often expensive. Smugglers can charge thousands of thousands of dollars for a space on boats. But if an asylum claim is successful, refugees can apply for family reunification and bring their loved ones to safety. Although this is a process that takes years and is fraught with challenges. But coming back to the Rwanda proposal, Professor Norman says that one of the major hurdles is the UK's laws. At the moment, this is not legal in the UK, but from what I understand, there's, there's a legislation that's going to be potentially passed that would make it possible for that act of entering the UK irregularly in order to seek asylum, uh, making that act illegal and thus uh, allowing the UK government to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. Just weeks after the government announced the plan, legal challenges were already being filed by human rights lawyers, and it's likely that these will end up in the high courts. So what exactly is their criticism of the proposal? I think fundamentally it's an inhumane, unworkable, highly expensive um, policy that really shouldn't even be, we shouldn't be needing to talk about this. It shouldn't be being considered. That's Daniel Sahedj a specialist in international refugee law and director of the UK-based human rights organisation Stand for All. We're talking about a policy that could feasibly see children even sent 4,000 miles to another country, a country which the UK has criticised quite recently for its spotty record on human rights. So there is no part of this. The Prime Minister said that this was a humanitarian option. This is the definition of the opposite of humanitarian. There's another big concern that many have. You heard Nigel Farage at the start mention it, but dozens of charities and rights groups have said the same. In announcing the scheme, Mr Johnson praised Rwanda as one of the safest countries in the world, globally recognised for its record in welcoming and integrating migrants. But that contrasts with the government's own statements just one year before, when it took Rwanda to task over continued restrictions to civil and political rights and media freedoms, as well as allegations of extrajudicial killings and other issues. During a UN Human Rights Council review in 2021, countries from all regions of the world called on Rwanda to end torture and ill-treatment, investigate causes and cases of extrajudicial killings, enforced disappearances, arbitrary detentions, deaths in custody... They called on Rwanda to allow journalists to work freely. And then there are concerns about the Rwandan government's treatment of its own nationals who have fled the rule of Paul Kagame, who has kept a tight control over Rwanda since the 1994 genocide. That said, Rwanda is a fast-growing country undergoing rapid changes. And it has accepted large numbers of foreign refugees, while the constitution offers the same protections to asylum seekers as nationals. It took in African refugees stranded in Libya as part of an African Union deal with the United Nations. And in 2021, it offered to house Afghans fleeing the Taliban. But Mr Kagame's political opponents are among those criticising the deal. Frank Habizena, the president of the opposition Democratic Green Party of Rwanda, said the deal is not sustainable. He pointed out that there's already fierce competition for land and other resources. OK, so the UK government is proposing a highly controversial plan that may, as it stands, break the government's own laws. But will it work? Well, it's by no means the first country to try and send those seeking asylum far away as a deterrent to making the journey and to stop the smugglers. 
For years, the EU has made deals and paid billions in aid and development grants to neighbouring countries to house and accept migrants trying to get to Europe. The US too has sought to send arrivals back to Mexico, for example, to have their assessments made there. But perhaps the most famous case is Australia, which for years has sent those trying to claim asylum to Papua New Guinea and elsewhere to await decisions. So do these schemes stop people trying to make dangerous crossings? Does it stop the smugglers? Here's Steve Valdez-Simmons from Amnesty International in the UK. We have years of evidence from Australia about precisely this policy measure, which has done nothing to stop people coming to Australia seeking asylum, has inflicted a huge amount of cruelty on a relatively small number of people, basically imprisoned for years and years on islands in the South Pacific, and all at enormous cost to the Australian taxpayer, such that Australia has for some years now been busy trying to shut the whole thing down. Why on earth this government thinks that we need to adopt some measure like this is beyond belief. Professor Norman has done extensive research into this and looked at things like the EU policies and their impact on arrivals. Yeah, it really depends on what you mean by work, because there's so many different ways to look at it, right? And I think it's important to ask at what cost, at what human cost and at what financial cost. So governments are looking more and more for these types of quote unquote solutions um, because they're politically uh, palatable. You know, it appeals to a certain subsect of voters that, that see this as the government being hard on immigration. Um, in terms of whether it works, though, you know, the question, I think, allegedly governments do this because they want to deter people from making voyages. Um, but it doesn't deter people. People continue coming. It's just a matter of they can't always get to the place that they're hoping to get to. But it doesn't mean that they're actually being protected. So Professor Norman says the evidence isn't there that these kinds of policies actually work to stop arrivals or to protect those already making the journey. And many experts have also pointed out the high cost of such schemes. The UK said it will pay Rwanda £120 million as part of an economic transformation and integration fund. But there's also the yet undetermined cost of actually sending people there, housing them, feeding them and processing them while they're in Rwanda. So what can the UK government and others like it actually do to protect lives, stop smugglers and uphold border security? Well, pretty much all the experts agree there's one solution – offer safe, legal pathways for those seeking sanctuary while weeding out those who are not eligible. One of the big points that the UK government makes repeatedly is that those arriving from France have already escaped the persecution they're facing and should instead be claiming asylum in France. Well, here's Larry Botanik, a senior legal officer at the UN refugee agency UNHCR, addressing this point. There's nothing in international law that says you have to ask in the first country you encounter. Uh, UNHCR understands the frustration of the UK government on that and is not in favour of uh, channel crossing, of course. Uh, we think there's more effective ways and more humane ways to address this. One would be going back to some sort of equitable readmission agreement with France and other European countries so that people who have no particular um, reason to come to the UK can be returned. The, the other more effective way is for people who don't have protection needs to actually be returned promptly. So properly rejected cases, you know, shouldn't stay for years and put down roots 
the very few go to Europe, much fewer go to the UK. It's not that everyone in France wants to come. France has more than, than the UK, as does uh, Spain uh, as well. Uh, so per capita, the UK is something like 21 or 22 out of 42 countries in Europe. And that was prior to Ukraine. Um, so this notion um, that they need to deter people from coming, there's no emergency here. Rather than a policy of improving the asylum system, either from a safety or an efficiency perspective, Professor Norman and others said it's about appealing to voters. Incidentally, the plan was announced just weeks before the 2022 local elections in the UK. Nigel Farage, who you heard from at the start, said the same. He accused the UK government of announcing the plan simply because it was scared of the reaction of voters on the streets during the campaign. So how do the UK public feel generally about immigration, once the major driver of Brexit and of those crossing the Channel? Here's Jonathan Portis, a professor of economics and public policy at King's College London. He's an expert in immigration and has written extensively on the history and implications of immigration and asylum in the UK. It is a great mistake, I think, to think of of this as a sort of um, two camps division. Uh, That is to say, there are these liberal, open borders, metropolitan, cosmopolitan elite on the one hand who just won't let anyone in. And then there are a bunch of racist xenophobes on the other side um, who who hate all foreigners. Um, Of course, there are a few people who fall into each of those groups. But there are also a lot of people with different views in the middle, people who recognize the economic benefits, but have concern about the pressure on public services or pressure on jobs and wages. One of the big drivers of Brexit was the call to cut down on immigration. Boris Johnson referenced that in his announcement of the plan on Rwanda. But long-term polling of public sentiment over the six years since the referendum have shown that the majority of people no longer feel that immigration is one of the most pressing issues facing the UK. Interestingly, in the last few years, particularly since the Brexit referendum, actually overall British attitudes towards migration have become considerably more positive. In fact, by some measures, they're more positive than anywhere else in Europe. Uh, Britons in general think that immigration has been good for the UK, good for its economy, good for its society. Um, And the number of people who want to see immigration severely restricted um, has actually shrunk considerably. Okay, so Professor Portis said that it's not clear cut that people are concerned about refugees and asylum seekers coming to the UK. As the Afghan government collapsed in the summer of 2021, the international community airlifted nearly 100,000 people out of Kabul airport who feared the return of the hardline Taliban to power. Many in the UK and elsewhere rallied in their support, and many were welcomed to the UK. After Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24, 2022, the UK said that people could sign up to host refugees fleeing war. On the first day alone, 100,000 people in the UK registered. So clearly, sentiments are complex, and the issues are complex, and the solutions are more challenging. Thanks this week to Professor Kelsey Norman, Professor Jonathan Portis, and everybody else who shared their opinions and thoughts. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan and hosted by me, James Haynes-Young. If you want to get the next and all future episodes of Beyond the Headlines directly to your phone, then just hit subscribe in your podcast app. And while you're there, why not leave us a review? It makes all the difference.